Hello and welcome to our monthly podcast series, In Conversation With. Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about the rise of the zero waste movement. And first, it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists. In the studio with me today, we have Jenny Cairns, who's Innovation and Sustainability Manager at Butterfly Cannon. We have Teresa Yee, who is Senior Beauty Editor at WGSN. And via telephone from Chicago, welcome Nelson Switzer, who's Chief Growth Officer for Loop Industries. And on the phone from Switzerland, hello to Raphael Aschenbohr, who is Sustainable Development and Corporate Communication Director at the Luxitown Group. I guess the first thing to start is by defining uh, what zero waste is and how it's grown into what is rapidly becoming 2019's defining trend. Um, Teresa, do you want to start us off with that? Yes, of course. So at WGSN, we've been writing a lot about zero waste. And the definition of zero waste, it's, it's about taking a whole systems approach. So including reducing consumption, reusing or recycling products and materials. So it's about eliminating or reducing waste to become more environmentally friendly and trying to not put things back into landfills. So basically, no trash to be sent to landfills. But also it's about turning kind of discarded materials into something new, like a new product. And we see the food industry doing this with discarded fruits, which or wonky kind of fruits, which are then turned into new products like um, crisps and also um, juices or smoothies. So let's talk from the beauty point of view. There's been already quite a few developments. We've had Lush launch its uh, first packaging-free store in the UK. We've got P&G preparing to launch its DSC three brand. Henkel has invested in the circular economy. And of course, uh, Nelson and Raphael, you're in the perfect spot to talk to us about uh, Loxidans and loop steel um, on packaging. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for Loxidan, actually, what we do is that we, we target to create this kind of uh, circular economy uh, on all our packaging and especially on plastic. And what do we do for that? Actually, we try to use a maximum of recycled plastic. And this is where loop industry uh, will really help. And I'm sure Nelson will talk about it later. And, uh, but also to give access to recycling to all our customers all around the world. So really to create this circular economy, to take existing waste out of the market and to uh, avoid that we create new waste. So for, for that, for example, we have like a strong target. So we target that all our plastic bottles will be 100% recycled plastic by 2025. And 100% of our own stores will offer recycling service actually by 2025. And today we are more about 30%. When we talk about zero waste, I mean, if we're asking the consumer to do something extra, can we count it as zero waste if they're not just disposing it on a curbside recycling facility, but they're actually having to take it back to a specific place. Does that count as zero waste? I mean, I know that there's been quite a few launches in this space. How are we defining it? For, for me, actually, zero waste is, is exactly what it was uh, said before, that you don't send any more trash to landfill or in, even uh, to burn. Uh, or in the ocean. So if you recycle or if you reuse a material, 
it's considered as zero waste because you are always reusing an existing waste to turn it into, into something new. And it's exactly this movement that we have to create if we want to reach a zero waste. And how about reusables? Are we also talking, does zero waste count as reusables or are we just talking recyclables or a mixture of both? Yeah, definitely. Actually, it's, it's both. So it's either that you find a way to recycle uh, the material or to reuse, for example, for packaging. So for example, at L'Occitane, what we do, we have eco-refills. So you can refill your product, your existing packaging, and so your the same packaging can last longer because you can refill it many times. And so like that, uh, you avoid to create um, uh, more waste and actually you decrease the number of waste that you put on the market. And what about the refillable pouches? Because in turn, the pouch is left over. So what are consumers expected to do with that? Are they recyclable? Are they... So not, not yet. Uh, so this is the, the issue we are facing today. And we are really working with suppliers on that. Because today there are no public facilities to recycle what you call the, the pouch. So in the meantime, what we do is that we propose to our customers to come back in our store to recycle them in our store because we work with a partner who can recycle them. Uh, but we are also working for the future to find a way uh, to make them easily and uh, recyclable. And uh, we hope that uh, they will have some uh, public facilities to recycle them uh, in every country in the long term. Jenny, do you want to talk us a little bit through the material development from the material side? I think, um, like you said, refillables versus returnables or recyclables. I think zero waste, as everyone's gathered here from what Teresa said and from Raphael there, um, is the fact that you're not making anything go into landfill and whether that is using a returnable and someone has to go and do something like go into store for it or there's a collection service or you recycle it and then it carries on in another stream so you create this entire circular economy is quite crucial. I think one of the key things to note is like why why are people doing this and why is it such a big prompter right now and such a big trend for this year? I think it's because everyone's been, uh, I think a lot about mindfulness. Everyone started to reevaluate everything in life. So there's been a bigger increase of mindfulness from people downloading apps and thinking about their existence and what's happening in the future as well. And I think that started to drive the zero waste movement. And now we're in a really, really exciting time for all materials and how companies and people as a society are reviewing how they work together to get the best outcome. How are consumers sifting through all this information? Do you think that they understand the nuance of what's good, what's bad, what's better, what's worse? It's it's quite hard to, to navigate through that, isn't it? Oh, it's really difficult. And that's coming from someone who has an understanding of some of the industry so um, I think it's not as clear as black or white I don't I think there's nuances in everything in life and I think we need to be clearer about what each thing means and I think in general if you look at all companies everyone's got their own different sustainability goals and with those being different it can sometimes cause a bit of confusion and I think with everyone coming together say for example on the plastics pact and trying to work through what's the best way to move forward so people have one attainable goal and it's easier for people to understand. I think we need to be clear about how we package and label things uh, to ensure when people receive something, they know what to do with it. Raphael, how are you telling your customers what is the most eco-conscious choice for them? 
Yeah, I, actually, it, it's a very important point. I think we have to help everyone uh, all over the world to understand what they need to do and what they should do. So I totally agree that it's quite uh, complicated to understand. On our side, really, first, we, we try really to implement recycling facilities in every store. And so it's really a perfect occasion to talk with customers about uh, how to recycle, what to recycle. And so our beauty assistant can advise them, etc. So it's really an objective that we have uh, on this point. Uh, and also when we have some recycled plastic on our packaging, it's written on the packaging. So we hope that also the information gets to their mind and then they can uh, consider that it's uh, better to have um, a packaging that is made with recycled plastic. And we try to communicate a little bit more about that and to, to share the good practice also with them. Teresa, what do you think? Do you think companies are marketing zero waste successfully? Do you think consumers understand? I guess some companies are doing it better than others. So we have a good example, Ren. So one of their pledges is to become a zero kind of waste company by 2021. So they've created this uh, product, which is called the uh, Atlantic Kelp and Magnesium Body Wash. And it's supposed to be all recyclable, zero waste. So it has a 100% recycled bottle, which actually features 20% reclaimed ocean plastic. And also what they've done is they've replaced the metal-free, um, so it's got a metal-free alternative to the, the metal spring pump that you usually get. And the packaging is all recyclable. I think the consumer's mindset is changing. So sustainability is at the forefront you know, of their minds. So when they are buying products, they are rejecting unnecessary pa like packaging. So they they are looking for kind of ways that they can refill their bottles. They're looking for information on, you know, how to recycle it. They're looking for kind of like better products as well. So we talked a lot about buying better rather than more at WGSN. But I guess it's for the beauty consumer, it can get quite confusing as to what can be recycled and what cannot. So um, there needs to be some sort of like industry symbols that will that can be placed onto bottles that can help the consumer know, OK, this can be recycled in here, this can be recycled there. Or because a lot of times a lot of consumers might just you know, buy something, but they don't actually want to take it back into the stores. They just want to be at home, be able to just easily recycle things. So I guess there needs to be more education from brands to communicate yeah. how to actually, recycle. Yeah. A point that is really difficult to do that is actually that every recycling um, options are different among the countries. So, for example, on our side, we are distributed in 90 countries, so we cannot put on the packaging what the customer should do because it's different in every country. So what we want to do is to implement that on the websites, on our e-commerce website, to have local uh, advice for recycling. And do you think there should be better clarity in labelling? Do you think, for example, that we quite often as consumers would confuse the fact that there's a symbol indicating that the packaging is made out of recycled materials and a symbol that indicates that it is recyclable. Do you think that consumers understand that? Jenny, what do you think? I don't think consumers currently understand that. I think we're starting to look at with like governments and things like that going into education and people understanding more about materials from a younger age, which I think will really help everything which is a real success story if that does come true in the next couple of years. Um, 
you have little things like R for our pet, so recycled PET and things like that. So there are different things within the industry that people are aware of, but not necessarily the general public know. And I think being clearer about that will help everything. But you will need to make sure that with your circular economy that there is enough recycled content to be able to put into it. So if there's claims such as this will be 100% recycled PET, how are they getting that? Because it's not being collected fully at the moment. So we need to make sure we're including everything in the supply chain for that circular economy to make that an opportunity in the future. There were two things I thought were important to mention when we when we talk about this culture, as it were, of, of, of sustainable packaging or zero waste. And I heard some great definitions shared earlier, but two things I thought were important to mention is, is the notion of of ensuring that what we're doing here is not just about reduction and it's not just about reuse. It's about ensuring that the materials that we do reuse uh, can continue to be used for the same or better value proposition or purpose. A lot of material that's recycled today ends up actually being downcycled. That is, it's turned into materials of less value. And sometimes that value is only postponing its inevitable disposal. And so it's really important that as companies are thinking about and brands are thinking about how it is they can use material, that they think about the principle of upcycling that material. And that is taking that, that material that otherwise would be waste, creating something of greater value that can then be uh, upcycled again endlessly over and over. So, so that we continue to harness this resource that's already been harvested, so to speak, from our environment over and, and over. And and in doing that, we help ensure that um, what we do today doesn't compromise the ability of the next generation to meet their specific needs. When we think about, you know, what's really important and, and required, so to speak, to encourage um, recovery and recycling, and what makes for strong recycled material, there's a couple of things. So first, it's, it's what the consumer sees. So uh, what is the consumer's buying behavior? Are they going to choose the product that has recycled or upcycled content above the traditional? And there has been some concern in the past over performance. Will a recycled product really perform in the same way, at least, as the traditional or, or the conventional product? And that's been something that I think consumers have now gotten past. So you're, you're able to now market material, and they see it as even a premium offering that you're offering them something that's better. Better because the proposition isn't just because of the performance of the package, but it's because of the environmental and and social credibility that comes along with it too. So brands have a huge opportunity to market that to their customers and consumers and work with local agencies to ensure that there's recovery. But that's that's the bigger challenge. And that's um, really what the... Uh the building of this movement, particularly this year and at the end of last year, has become, hasn't it, is that consumers are actively seeking out the more eco-conscious version. It was always, I would say, relatively niche shopping trend before that point when David yeah. Attenborough released that documentary. And yeah, suddenly I, I, I we all looked right. in the mirror and decided, actually, no, I, I'm going to go for that cleaning product or, or that shower gel because I feel terrible that I have put all this unknowingly into recycling or bin for so long without even really thinking about it. I think you're right. And then and, and the work that we've done over the years sort of showed that while there was this sentiment, and, and we called it you know, the green consumer, where we saw there was this belief that the green consumer was growing in terms of the absolute numbers of the net market was growing. 
But in fact, what we were finding was that it's just that the green consumer was becoming greener. So we weren't getting actually any net new purchasers of green products or green packaging, if you are, but, but we were getting those who were more insistent. And essentially, it crossed the tipping point where suddenly people recognized because of the increase in, in the coverage on the plastic crisis and the plastic issue in media, because of the growth in the number of uh, NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations and civil society groups that were really pushing this issue, governments then saw it as an opportunity, a political opportunity for them to issue policy that would actually win votes and bring their constituents on side with them. And so we start to see policy move. And when you, you see that cascade of activity happening, the consumer really does sort of perk up and recognize that this is not just an environmental issue for, that somebody else will deal with, but it's actually something that they can play a role in and help restore their own environment, protect their own environment, uh, as we think about not just our own needs today, but the needs of the generations that are coming uh, after us. And is it fair to say that this green consumer has moved from niche to sort of, well, I, I wouldn't say everyone, but a, a far wider section of society? Teresa, what do you think? Absolutely. I definitely think that the consumer today is thinking more sustainably. So when they are buying products, they do think about, okay, so this product is maybe good for me, but I want to make sure it's also good for the planet. So when they're buying, they're really considering and being more mindful about it. And we have brands like Lush who have been doing it. They're kind of like the pioneers of this kind of zero waste. You can go in and buy a you know a stick format that has no packaging has no waste so and they're on a kind of a mass scale so I, th- I think it has really reached kind of the mass consumer well that, that handily leads us to, to to product popularity because this zero waste movement has also um seen the renaissance of of some certain products that were all but dead <laughs> bar soap being the prime example um we've also got shampoo bars we're seeing a lot of innovation around the product too. Who would like to talk us through some of that? I uh, mean, Lush has done though um, not just the soaps, the solid soaps and solid shampoos, but also colour cosmetics as well, which is quite new with foundations in stick formats with no packaging and also their blushes as well. So I think it's not just like personal care it's also moving into like color cosmetics as well and stick formats are becoming a lot more popular as well i guess um they're easily to transport as well so and also for people who are traveling or on the go it means that they don't have to carry too much use it and you know there's no waste or anything so it's quite convenient jenny do you want to talk us a little bit about product design Especially in the cosmetics industry you've got a lot of mixed materials which becomes a bit of a problem to then recycle afterwards and i think a lot of people are focusing on things like plastic cups or liners and things like that and not realising potentially the impact that's happening with some of the cosmetics that are being used. And I think that might be where people start to be guided in the next couple of years where they start looking at everything. And there's, there's some people who are starting to, but not everyone. So I think you've got certain companies that are going more towards like a mono material rather than, so that's one material, sorry. <laughs> so it's made out of one material only, so it's easier to recycle. So you have one set place that can be recycled so there's ones that there's mono materials for lipsticks now that can be used so you can recycle it in one place I think it's a lot to do with working as a in partnership with everyone so with a brand with the designers with the supply chain to ensure that what is being either redesigned or re-looked at is being thought through through the entire process 
So I think it's really crucial that everyone comes together to make that happen. How about you, Raphael? Is L'Occitane also looking at product as well as packaging or are you focusing on packaging for now? What's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, what we do, so first on what was just said about uh, working also with um, many other partners, etc. I think the key things is also when you uh, design a product is to work directly right at the beginning with recycling companies to be sure that your product will be able to be recycled, that you will be able to separate the components of the product to recycle them in different bins. So it's really work with an eco-conception process. So I think this is the, the basement of uh, eco-friendly uh, product. And of course, on our side, we try to find ways to reduce packaging and to reduce uh, waste. We have a lot of soaps for a long time. And uh, it's true that soaps, and we all know that, that soaps are way better for the planet than, uh, for example, shower gels in plastic bottles, etc. But still, if we have soaps and if we have uh, shower gel in plastic bottles that are made with uh, recycled plastic and even upcycled plastic with loop uh, industries plastic in the future, step by step, I think it's, it's, it's going in the good direction. It's also, it's true, uh, and it's a very... Uh, great ways to innovate. Uh, I think uh, in our teams, uh, many people have a lot of ideas to innovate on this kind of topic. So yes, I think for the future, it will be great. I mean, really, we need to look at innovating for all levels of consumer, don't we? Because as uh, Nelson was saying earlier, we have the green consumer, the stalwart who just gets greener. um, And we've seen interest from a, a much wider section of society recently but there are people like me. I mean, I, I did not think that I would be carrying around my stale coffee in my handbag um, in a reusable cup this time last year, but uh, there it is. Um, however, you know, I probably draw the line. I mean, although I have lots of very pretty uh, bar soaps indeed from L'Occitane in my drawer, I think of them more of a nice object. I'm not that keen on the soap scum all around my shower <laughs> um, and I still use shower gel from from a, uh, a plastic bottle. Mm-hmm. So we need to look mm-hmm. at making the different consumer choices better for the environment, yeah. don't we? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the sort of fact yeah. of the matter. Let's talk a little bit about how retail is looking at this. So, for example, you're asking shoppers to bring their bottles back in store. What else can retailers do to make things more environmentally friendly. A lot have talked about, um, you know, there's there's been TerraCycle's new scheme that suggests that they will be able to give back all of the packaging curbside and get it back with products full. What other innovations can we expect to see, Teresa? So a few years ago, um, there was a natural beauty brand in Australia. They were called BioMeath. So they opened um, a zero waste kind of beauty bar and it was in Brisbane. And what they did was they encouraged their consumers to come in and they could make their own natural beauty products and put them into you know reusable jars and stuff and take them home, come back. And if they need refills, they can do that. So I think that's encouraging the consumers to, you know, tap into the whole DIY trend, make your own, but also to not have like loads of bottles, plastic bottles, but be able to just keep refilling so that you are kinder to the environment. So I thought that was a, a, a really good, um, it was only a pop-up, but I thought it was a really great way to kind of educate the consumer about like how you can make products, but also how can you, you know, not have waste as well. 
I, I also agree that the, the I think a, a new trend or anyway something else that we can test to educate customers to how we can make them maybe refill uh, some product in stores in the future so they can only use for example one one packaging and then come back in store to refill them in stores. So it's it's there are a lot of ideas in this field. I mean, we've seen it in the food industry where you can come in and just, you know, pick and mix yeah. your own kind of like nuts and stuff. But, you know, in the beauty okay. industry, could you do that as well? There's quite a few opportunities there. I think, you know, there's there's a couple of pieces and I reflect on what I just heard. First is, uh, I, I agree that I, I uh, something tells me that all of the ideas um, are not yet on the table. There's going to be so much innovation when it comes to retail in terms of how people sell, uh, let alone what they sell. Quite frankly, I'm looking forward to that. I, I've seen some success in, in various markets around the world with uh, bulk sales and refills. I think there's probably more in the, the refill category than there is in the bulk sale category. So I'm looking forward to that. But I was also thinking about what was mentioned earlier and, and for example, the program that L'Occitane has in, in for, for collection. Because there's the delivering the product to somebody, but there's also the taking the product back. And that sense of, of extended producer responsibility, if you will. I think it's so important. And one of the things that, that we like about Luxitan and why we like to work with Luxitan is because th- there are three ways to get your material back, right? I'm sure there are others, but the three main categories are direct take back, which is you provide your actual retail customers the ability to bring that, that packaging uh, back to you so that you can ensure it is appropriately upcycled and managed. The second is an, an indirect program in which they don't necessarily bring it directly to you, but they can sort of divert from the waste, the traditional municipal waste management system and send it to an upcycler or a processor like Loop. Or it could be that you actually put this material into your, your local waste stream. And I think that we see retailers now starting to provide a little bit more education on that. But also taking that responsibility, because the, a lot of the criticism over the years for for packaging by not-for-profits and others who are let's let's say uh, anti-plastic packaging have been that the brands haven't taken responsibility. Now I don't totally agree with that, but what we see is brands like Luxitan and others who who offer programs to allow people to take it back. I think are just as or maybe even more important than the way that you you actually uh, deliver the product in the first place. And what about convenience? I mean, um, there's a few apps out there, for example, that uh, deliver things direct to your door and take it back. Uh, All you need to do is print out a label. Uh, What's L'Occitane doing for online shoppers? So for online shoppers right now, we tell them to bring back the product in store. So we don't have yet this kind of uh, system where you can send it back, uh, for example, uh, through delivery. But we are studying this kind of option on how we can really facilitate the recycling for customers. Because today what we do is that actually we try to incentive them to come back. (laughs) So we try to educate them, but also to incentive them to give them a good reason to bring back their empty bottles and empty packaging in our stores. But we know that it's not super, super convenient. So we will see in the future if we we can set up um, new things to facilitate that. But presumably, it's it's not just about convenience. I mean, there's also fuel costs involved with coming back. I mean, obviously, you'd ideally hope that people would be making multiple uh, errands um, for the one journey. So 
ideally, you, you really want somebody to be utilising curbside or as good as, i.e. sending it back direct or... Um, because if, if somebody's 50 miles from a store, then they're driving that distance, aren't they? You know, Raphael, I'm, I'm just going to take that question <laughs> from you for a second. The, that, that argument and that, that question um, has been studied a little bit. And, and what they found is that most consumers, that, that, that's actually a neutral activity because most consumers are heading back to that store anyways to okay. either refill or get a new product. So in fact, they were already heading back to that location. So if if you are a purchaser from the retail store, uh, going back and forth in terms of to return your empties uh, is a is an environmentally net neutral activity. The the piece comes with the online sales. Uh, that's where it becomes a little bit different. And some companies are looking at how they can innovate in terms of when I send you the package, the initial package with your material. You can then post it directly back to us. But how can that be done in a way to minimize logistics is always uh, and will be a perpetual question. So when we're talking about convenience, perhaps we should add in realism. How realistic is it that a consumer is going to be? I mean, if we're talking on a really mass level, you know, huge company, let's say shampoo, everyone buys it maybe once a month, I don't know. Are we really all going to be keeping all of these separate bottles and then taking them into different stores to that's why curbside recycling is so important isn't it really because realistically you're not going to keep a tin from there and a, a bottle from here and this empty thing here and wait until you go back and take it all into individual stores or you know that's that's not necessarily realistic particularly if you live in a small city flat I think that's why um, Nelson's point earlier about three ways of disposing of things is quite important to take into consideration so when you receive something, whether you can then curbside recycle it and depending on what country you're in, however they recycle there. But also, I think it's going to be very difficult, like you say, if someone has to go back to the store and always remember to bring that. It's like when people first off introduce like a tote bag rather than a plastic bag that you get at the store to remember to always take that with you and then you end up buying another bag and then you end up with a cupboard of bags is the truth of it and how people, until they start to change their their way of working and how they see their situations... So, yeah, I think it's about doing the different methods. It's not just one solution fits all. There isn't a silver bullet solution for anything. It's making sure that you are clear with the consumer and what they can do. I think maybe there could be, I don't know, just thinking about our conversation here just now, there could be a way of, for example, a big company like Amazon, where it could be easier because they come and pick up and drop off so many times. So there's a way of doing it that way rather than necessarily just a smaller brand having to set that up. You might get more uptake if it's a larger company that's doing a lot of e-commerce deliveries anyway. Maybe there's a way of doing it in that way. I'm yeah. not too sure. Could be the future. <laughs> well, you're talking to someone who knows their Hermes man by yeah. name. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's certainly... But certainly... I, 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 totally, I totally agree with that. I think it's a matter of giving uh, different choices to the customers. But for example, when you take like a, a PET plastic bottle for a shampoo, in France, you can recycle it with public facilities. So every customer can recycle them uh, very easily in their streets. But for example, in France, for us, we also recycle in our stores what is not possible to recycle with public facilities. So it's an, an, an additional solution for them. Uh, but for example, in China, where customers cannot recycle with public facilities, they can bring back, they will be able when we will implement that in China uh, to bring back everything in our stores. 
So I think it's a complementarity of, of many solutions and, and how we talk about that all the time so customers can really think about trying to recycle as much as they can. Let's move on to uh, regulation. I mean, we've seen France, for example, uh, ban single-use plastic utensils. UK is considering a ban on wipes, although that's rumoured to be untrue also. Um, are bans necessary or is the industry already taking it into their own hands? I think what we're seeing, obviously, is the proliferation of more proposals. I think that policymakers are, are, are putting these proposals forward to sort of take the pulse of the constituents to see what it is that people are will be comfortable with. Policy to me has always been a, a tool for deciding who gets what within a marketplace and, and within a consumer base. So, so it can be um, a really interesting study to take a look at. But more specifically, when you think about the proposals that are on the table right now, really what governments are trying to do is they're trying to stimulate a shift in the way we behave, really, and how people make their, their choices. One of the things that we do here at Loop is, is we have been able to demonstrate that it is absolutely, not just technically, but commercially a viable uh, opportunity to upcycle your PET material. It's, there's no longer a, a, a roadblock, a technical roadblock on the quality of the material that you get from recycling your, your PET or your polyester fiber anymore. And because of that, it provides policymakers the assurance that they need that if they're going to put in place regulation or legislation that says thou shalt recover that material because it can now be recycled, uh, it opens up a huge window. And if we think about a, a parallel to that, it's, it's one of the reasons we've also seen what Tesla has done, for example. If you look at the market in China and various markets around the world that have said by 2030 or by 2035, there will be no more internal combustion engines in our market. The reason that they're able to regulate that is because Tesla has proven that the electric vehicle is absolutely viable. And so in the same way, Loop is able to provide that assurance to policymakers that the upcycling of this material and recovering it from the environment or diverting it from the environment is absolutely viable. And so I think that's also one of the reasons that we're seeing policymakers move in this direction um, because they feel empowered to do so. In conclusion, what can we expect, say, five, ten years' time? Is it reasonable to predict that this movement is going to change the way that we not only buy and consume beauty, but presumably everything, and that perhaps single-use plastics will be a thing of a past? What do we think, Teresa? So I think we'll probably see replacements of plastics with kind of more environmentally friendly materials, um, such as using like plant or food waste um, to create kind of like new creative materials. Um, I think that resource scarcity will also put pressure on the beauty industry as well. Brands will have to start looking for like alternative eco-conscious or regenerative materials for packaging. But for brands that do go zero waste, it's not just about the product and the packaging. They really have to think about the entire supply chain as well and the production process, manufacturing, how they ship the products. I know that some brands are already exploring um, different ways of um, shipping and distributing products um, more sustainably. So using things like replacing bubble wraps and phone peanuts with more kind of recyclable papers and stuff. So there's kind of quite interesting um, materials coming through to replace kind of plastics. 
I don't think that we will ever see, not, not in the next 20 years, maybe even 30 years, a replacement of plastic. I really don't. I think what we will see is a wider variety of options available to people. But I, I think as long as plastic continues to be as inexpensive and as flexible, no pun intended, as it is at fulfilling so many different uh, shapes, forms, and so on, that we'll continue to see it uh, as, as a viable packaging option. I think what we will see, though, is we will see a great increase in recycled content and upcycled content. I think we'll see uh, uh, not necessarily a wholesale replacement, but a significant share of the virgin plastic market replaced with recycled and upcycled plastic. Uh, I think that's more likely. I, I do agree that there will be lots of other alternative packaging formats as well. But I don't think we'll see the end of plastic uh, anytime yeah. soon. I, I, I also agree with that. I think it's it's both. I think um, we will tend to an economy or a model that will reduce the consumption maybe of plastic because I think it's also the issue is also the overconsumption and overproduction of plastic. But I think one big option is really, as Nelson was saying, is to replace plastic either by recycled or upcycled plastic or other solution. But other solutions like plant-based plastic, they also have their impact. So it's also very important to evaluate the impact of this kind of other options. Because if they use natural resources that are not that impact biodiversity, for example, it's not uh, always perfect. So it's a matter of really uh, evaluating the, the, the impact and the options we have and to propose many options to, to, to customers. And I also believe that this movement will change uh, the industry in the future. So it will change the product, the portfolio, but also the logistic, uh, the shipping, the retail. I think it will, I hope it will change everything. And I think it's good that many brands are thinking about how they can change all of that in their, in their industry, in their, in their business uh, to, to move forward in this direction. A really important point that plastic isn't evil per se and the plastic alternatives aren't necessarily better. Jenny, do you want to yeah, conclude for us? Uh, I would say I agree with what all three have said so far. I think you're going to have an uptake on recycled plastics, especially if everyone's thinking more of a circular economy, but you need to be able to make, like I said earlier, that recycled content. So you need to be able to have that flow because there isn't enough if everyone wants to turn to 100% recycled content right now. There wouldn't be, there's not enough infrastructure in place to be able to do that. So ensuring that's in place, I think... There's a time and place for using new and innovative materials, so whether they are plant-based, depending on what is fit for purpose and how people are going to dispose of it. So, for example, if it's coffee grounds that you can't get rid of something in an espresso one, would that be better that that's plant-based and it can go into all the composting? It's thinking what is right and fit for purpose and gives the best result for that material and for its use. I think there's, regards to policies for what's coming in place from different governments, there's potential schemes in place for tax benefits if you are to use recycled content and things like that in the UK. You've got the plastic pact that has now been potentially looked at with France and other countries and taken on board that. And that's got such a big intake from many different large brands, over 250 of the biggest brands out there are all part of that. So I think you've got all those things coming together to create a new way of thinking. And that that's saying where people need to have recycled content or 25% compostable. So it allows you to look at it in all different ways of how you can remove that awful thought of what do I do once I've finished using this product it, get, it will give the opportunities for that in the next couple of years it's going to be some interesting times and uh, hopefully we're going to save the planet in one container at a time 
I'd like to thank everyone for taking part today. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Nelson. And thank you, Raphael. And thank you to our audience for listening. Until next time.